grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. What was the last thing you had to fix, the last repair you had to make? And how did it go? Maybe you're blessed with the know-how where you, as soon as it broke, you rolled up your sleeves and you got to work. Maybe if you're a child of my generation, the first thing you did was hop on Google and YouTube to see if you could figure it out yourself. Or maybe you don't have time for any of that, so you instantly called someone else to come in and fix it for you. How did it go? Well, I guarantee that however it went, however you fixed the last thing you had to fix, as much as you wish you didn't have to, you know that you're probably going to have to fix it again, right? Routine maintenance is a part of life, isn't it? Why did you come to church this morning? Why are you sitting in, the, in your seat right now? Is it in order to do some routine maintenance? To fix something real quick so that you can get back to working order, so that you can get back to living your life? Is it just a habit that you've fallen into? Is it just a tradition that you have? Or do you truly see yourself as someone who is completely broken? And you might as well give church a shot. Because whatever it is, Whatever reason got you out of bed this morning and got you dressed and into your car and now into your seat, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here to hear Jesus' words in our gospel lesson for today where Jesus helps us realize that what's broken might be worse than we ever knew, but the repair has already been made. And it starts with something as simple as and humdrum as washing your hands. The Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Washing your hands. Maybe as the, as the gospel lesson was read earlier, you could tell that this is not just something sanitary, right? This is not me teaching my son, hey, go wash your hands before you come and eat dinner. This is ceremonial. The Pharisees practiced and taught a ceremonial washing of hands. It's not sanitary, it's spiritual. Because defiled hands cannot eat. Sinful hands should not be allowed to eat unless they have been ceremonially cleansed. The Pharisees have this practice as part of their religion. They see Jesus and his disciples, they're eating. And look at their hands, they're all dirty, they're all sweaty. Why don't your disciples wash your hands, Jesus? But make no mistake, this is not a request for information. The Pharisees are not coming up to Jesus and his disciples curious. Hey, I noticed that you aren't washing your hands. Can you tell me about that? What's your perspective? No, the Pharisees very clearly want to shame Jesus. The Pharisees want to make his disciples feel ashamed of their behavior. 
So the Pharisees come up, and in front of everyone, you can hear them pipe up their voice and speak loud enough so the whole crowd there can hear, hey, why don't you wash your hands? With the added bonus that not only can they shame Jesus and his disciples, maybe they can make themselves look a little bit better in the meantime. Because isn't that what we do when our goal is to shame someone? Isn't it at the same time we're trying to lift ourselves up? But that's a problem. What's the saying? People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Is that it? Did I get it right? Because if I'm going to point out how my friend doesn't talk to his wife in the nicest way, I better make sure that I talk to my wife perfectly, right? If I'm going to say that that person is caught up in this addiction and it's so sad, aren't they so miserable, I better make sure I have a good handle on my behaviors, right? When your purpose is to shame, you better make sure your house is in order because that's what you're communicating when you seek to shame someone. But the Pharisees wanted to communicate that. They wanted to point out how shameful Jesus and his disciples were, but at the same time how righteous, how pure, how ceremonial they were at the same time. But by the way, where did the Pharisees get this hand-washing thing? Is that in the Bible? Well, kind of. In the Old Testament, God gave a command for his priests who were working at the temple, who were handling the sacrifices, that if they were going to be involved in the action of worship, that they should do so with clean hands. And so subsequent generations looked at this practice and they said, hey, that's kind of cool. Maybe everyone should wash their hands, not just the priests. Let's make everyone do this ceremonial cleansing. And not just hands, but pitchers and kettles and plates and forks and you name it. Let's just wash everything. They found a biblical passage to develop a tradition that over time wasn't really biblical at all. It just kind of sounded that way. Do we do that? Don't we settle into traditions and routines and habits and thought patterns that might sound biblical, but when you look at it, we can't really hang a passage on it? Aren't we creatures of habit? Isn't this in our nature? And don't we defend our traditions and our habits and our thought patterns, sometimes tooth and nail, right? Like when your doctor tells you that maybe red meat is not a good idea for you anymore, and you say, well, what am I going to tell the couples at steak dinner Saturday? Or somebody tells you that a concerned friend sits down with you and says, you know, I'm concerned about how much you've been drinking. And you say, how dare you come between me and my five o'clock beer? But even worse, when the tradition that we hold so valuable is woven into the fabric of who we are, is part of what we are most proud of, like the Pharisees and having clean hands, when someone challenges that, we defend it like a mama grizzly coming for her cubs. The problem is, Jesus is not going to back down either. And Jesus has scripture on his side. That's why he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. Jesus quotes a prophet, Isaiah, who lived some 600 years before Jesus did, because this problem has been the same throughout history. God has never been impressed with empty worship. God has never been pleased with worship for worship's sake, with tradition for tradition's sake. God is not pleased when we raise his name on our lips, but our hearts are far from him. God wants your heart. But the problem with your heart is it's dirty. Jesus goes on. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The Pharisees had oversimplified the problem. They thought they were just an oven that needs fixing, a car that broke down. And as soon as they wash their hands, as soon as they make that repair, then they're good. The problem is no amount of soap and hand washing can purify this sinful heart that beats in our chest. It's not like we're an oven that broke or a car that broke that needs a repair. We are more like a well whose water is so putrid and disgusting that no one can drink it and live. The only thing you can do with a dirty well is destroy it and build a new one, dig a new one. We need a whole lot more, brothers and sisters, than a quick fix. We need a whole lot more than just routine maintenance. We need a massive overhaul. We need someone to do something about this sinful heart of ours. And we cannot operate on ourselves. We need Jesus. We have Jesus. Because in Christ, and in Christ alone, can your hope be found. In Christ, and in Christ alone, can you be drawn closer to God. In Christ, and in Christ alone, is there any kind of hope for sinful people who keep on sinning because Christ was born through God and true man to live among us, to walk in lockstep formation with all of his heavenly father's expectations and commands so that he could go to that cross having prioritized nothing else than loving his father and serving him every second of his life. And on the cross, he could hang there as your innocent sacrifice, your lamb without blemish, to pay for all of your sins. With his resurrection, he now clothes you. He places upon your shoulders the robe of his righteousness. Your heart was once far from God, but now Jesus has brought you close. You were once steeped in the filthiness of your own sin, but Jesus alone has cleansed you by the forgiving love of God. The repair 
has already been made. What did we witness a few minutes ago when Warren was brought up to be baptized? Is this just a tradition? Do we just like to highlight how there are babies in our congregation and look, this is your chance to look at him and see how cute he is? Because man, he is pretty cute, right? But this was far from a human tradition. It is only and always about Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. Warren's baptism was the moment that he, and you were all there to see it, he was clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He was reborn as a child of God. He was forgiven of all of his sins because that's exactly what happened at your baptism for you. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, as members of Trinity come forward and receive Christ's true body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine. Is this just a human tradition? Absolutely not. It is only about Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. As you receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of your sins with the sacrament. Why are we here? with all the different reasons that you came and sat where you're sitting right now, we are here, not just to do routine maintenance, not to just get our fix so that we can go back into our lives and live exactly the same as we were before, but to remember that your entire life is about Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus, your one and only Savior from sin who went straight to your heart straight to the source of all your problems and forgave you and cleansed you and washed you. That's what this is about. Let that come through the next time you're talking with someone about Jesus, how you're not seeking to shame them for their sins because you're in the exact same boat as they are, a sinner who relies 100% on Jesus. When you talk to someone about what your weekend plans are, relay that you're not just going to a place that you go to out of habit, out of tradition, but what you're excited to do at church to hear about your Savior. And when your friends kind of poke fun at you, ah, uh, you still let your parents make you come to church, you can share that, no, church is where I hear about Jesus, and Jesus is my Savior too, not just my parents' Savior. Because brothers and sisters, Jesus has gone straight to the source of our sin so we can point people straight to the source of their salvation too. Amen.